we have the pleasure of our lead pastor, Charles Park, to deliver us this sermon. Let's welcome Charles. Thank you, Amelia. A lot of good groups starting, so please check it out. What a great worship. Thank you, Pastor Mike and the worship team. That was awesome, yeah? And welcoming back a lot of new folks. My name is Charles. As Amelia said, I'm the pastor here, and welcome to the river. Happy New Year. I hope the, the year is off to a good start for you. Um, we started a new sermon series last Sunday called Impossible Questions, Fresh Perspective. And the hope behind this series is that we all have these questions that, you know, it's back of your mind about faith, about God, but sometimes you're just afraid to ask these questions, especially at church, because it can sound too pointed, too rude to, like, ask some of these questions. You know what I mean, right? So last week we talked about why does the list of sin keep changing, right? It does. And you kind of think, oh, that's not the kind of question you want to ask a pastor. Oh, my. Right? But you think about it. And I think, what better place to ask than at church? Right? At least at this church, all questions are welcome. We believe that's what leads to healthy, life-giving spirituality. Ask your questions. We may not have the answers. But at least ask and think about it, right? That's better and healthier than just sweeping it under the rug. So after I preached, a lot of people resonated with that. And one of my friends here, an African-American gentleman, he uh, came up and said, you're totally right. I, I, he said, I remember the times when Oh, the church was like just so against all these things that they are not anymore. Like smoking was such a sin. Drinking was, oh my gosh, you couldn't be called a Christian if you drank. Never mind, Jesus drank, you know, <laughs> but you couldn't drink. Uh, he said, I remember back in the day when these radio preachers on radio would just go on, on and on about how interracial marriage is against God's will, citing these Bible passages. Inter, you know, marriage across race, right? And that changed, right? People don't talk about that anymore. Don't you agree? So what happened? What happened? Uh, so last Sunday I talked about, you know, what happened, why it happened, and how... This problem is not new, that this ever-changing flip-flopping was present from the very beginning of the church. We look together at the Bible passages about how eating rare steak was such a big sin. It was at the top of the list, right? Remember that? Now, that changed. Nobody has protest lines in front of steakhouses, right? Just say no. You know, <laughs> no to steak, right? So I talked about how the Bible itself advises us to use agape 
unconditional love as the principle to guide us in all these laws in the Bible and use our mind to decide because the Bible itself tells us all the commands of the Bible are summed up in one principle, agape, for agape does no harm. Therefore, agape is the fulfillment of everything the Bible requires. That makes it very clear that we have to use this principle in deciding what to go with, what not to go with. If the church had just followed this one simple instruction, this guideline, we would have been on the right side of history every single time. Ah, it's kind of sad that that didn't happen. But if you missed last week's sermon, I highly recommend it, despite Michelle's, you know, <laughs> don't have to listen. Yes, you don't have to listen to my sermons. No, of course not. But uh, if you are intrigued, you know, we are on our, it's on our website, uh, we have an app, it's on YouTube, you know, you can easily listen to it these days of digital internet. And then, so today's sermon is about, uh, there's a natural follow-up to last week's sermon. A number of people noted to me afterwards. And that is, if there are Bible passages, like those in support of slavery, and things keep changing, how can we trust the Bible? Right? How do we, how do we know this is the Word of God that is guiding us in all our lives when we actually see some problems here? How do we trust the Bible? Is the Bible inerrant? And if not, why follow it? Great question, don't you think? Pointed, very pointed, but a great question. This doctrine of inerrancy of the Bible is held sacred by pretty much every evangelical. Uh, very many conservative Christians believe inerrancy of the Bible, meaning Bible is perfect without error, right? So how do we think about that? Let's begin by asking, what is the Bible? How did it come into being? How does the Bible present itself as what it is? Uh, many people conceive of the Bible as if it just drops straight from the heavens, right? Word for word, just God dictated these words, and it's just perfect in every way to be followed forever in every setting because it's from the heavens. I mean... To be without error, it has to be straight from the heavens, right? Anything else that gets in there that's human, you can't claim to be human is to err, right? You heard that. There's an error in human beings. Now, some holy texts do position itself in those terms. For example, Quran claims that an angel from God, Gabriel, appeared to Prophet Muhammad and dictated words from the heavens, word for word, to be written down, right? So the Quran uh, is perfect, straight from the heavens in 7th century Arabic. If you translate it, you cannot call it Quran anymore because you introduce the human component in translation. That is how it is viewed. Uh, the Bible, however, has not been 
historically viewed in those terms. You see the difference here. I'm just talking about how each text is presenting itself without going into which is better or not. That's not the intent. Just trying to show you that different text presents itself in different ways. So how does the Bible present itself? For example, the book of Luke, it's one of the four Gospels, very major, important part of the Bible. The author describes how it came to be written. Many others have tried their hand at putting together a story of the wonderful harvest of scripture and history that took place among us, using reports handed down by the original eyewitnesses who served the word with their very lives. Since I have investigated all the reports in close detail, starting from the story's beginning, I decided to write it all out for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can know beyond the shadow of a doubt the reliability of what you were taught. That's the beginning of Luke. How does the author describe the book of Luke here? It's investigative journalism, right? That's what it is. He says he examined eyewitness accounts, right? Various eyewitness accounts, investigated the reports, put it all together, and here is the story. And that's how Book of Luke goes. That's not straight from the heavens. There's no mention of angel from the heavens like dictating words here. This is investigative journalism. That's not my interpretation. That's how it's portrayed. The Bible itself is portraying it in those terms. And it is well known that if you interview like 10 witnesses to anything that happens, like let's say there was a murder and you, you ask 10 different witnesses, there are going to be slight discrepancies every single time because that's how the human mind works. In fact, if they all line up perfectly, that's fishy. That's not right, right? You know they like worked out a story or something, <laughs> right? So if you find small inconsistencies or something in the Bible, don't sweat it. You know, that only increases the credibility of the Bible. You see my point there? The Bible is composed of lots of different styles of literary work written over a very long period of time by many various authors. Some are poetry, some are history, some are metaphorical, some are investigative journalism, like this one. It's not dictation. God didn't possess these authors. You know, just spirit of God just possesses, you know, I am now writing down words from God, word for word. You know, God didn't make someone into a robot, you know, and go, See, because God is love. God will never do that. God will never possess anyone. God will never control anyone because love and control never go together. Can you agree with me on that? As soon as control comes, you may get good behavior. You will never get love. Yes? God is love. So God, it's against God's nature to do such things. That's never going to happen. Amen? 
So it's just people throughout the ages seeing God at work, hearing God's voice, trying their best to write down what they saw and heard. That's how the author of Book of Luke describes it. Correct? So the Holy Bible is a product of human and God, just as Jesus is human and God. And that should make sense because as soon as you use human language to try to capture God and God's works, human comes in. Human language is not big enough to, to capture God perfectly. <laughs> it just immediately constrains God. God cannot be described. Right? We were singing about that in some ways here when we said God is holy. Human eyes cannot see God's glory. It just... We can't do it. It's too big for our brains. So <laughs> there's, there will be errors in perception and translation. Therefore, we must be humble in acknowledging our human limitations in reading the Bible. Actually, this has been the historical position of the Catholic Church uh, in opposition to the Protestant movement. You know, can you heard of Catholic Church? It's a billion people there. It's the biggest Christian denomination from the very beginning of church. It's a pretty big church. Their position should be at least taken into account. This view of the Bible as being inerrant is a relatively new argument in the history of church. I suspect the reason it came about is as an argument for reformation that took place 500 years ago that brought Protestantism into being against the Catholic Church who argued that church as speaking for God on earth is infallible, not to be challenged, the infallibility doctrine, which is a mistake also to call church a human institution to be infallible, you know. That's in the realm of God, <laughs> that kind of words, infallible, inerrant, that sort of thing belongs to God and God alone. And yet they were insisting on this and uh, to blunt the criticism of the Protestants because there were just too many abuses by the church, right? So there was this Protestant movement and they needed something to counter the claim of the church as representing God on earth and infallible. You know, you, you need something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like to fight the infallibility, they, they kind of lifted up the Bible as inerrant to counter those claims. So it became like inerrancy versus infallibility. <laughs> and, and I kind of think that's, ah, that's not good to take something tangible like church or the Bible and lift them up as if they were God on earth into the realm of like inerrancy. That's idolatry, isn't it? That's a definition of idolatry, to take something visible and make it into something of God. Let's not make a golden idol out of the Bible or the church. Only God is perfect and without error. Only the living God. Amen? Amen? 
So we must be humble because we look at church history. People of faith had such strong convictions about things like slavery, things like women's rights, or interracial marriage, and look how wrong they got it. Right? So let's be humble. So then the question becomes, how can we stay safe and humble and yet be guided by the divine in the Bible? Now the question turns to why follow the Bible or why take it seriously? How can we tell which part is divine and which part is human? How can we follow the Bible, the divine in the Bible, to take us higher than we can go ourselves and inspire us and lift us up while staying safe? Right? That's a good question, right, to follow up. So I'm going to give you a few principles around that. First, to be safe, don't construct a whole theology out of a few passages here and there to support your viewpoint. Right? Because if something is important, the Bible repeats it again and again and again. Concepts like love, generosity, kindness. These are repeated like hundreds of times. You know, the Bible is a big book. Right? It's very big. And so, if it's important to the Bible, it just comes up again and again. Right? But any passages like, don't eat meat with blood in it, wear a steak. Women must wear a hat. Slavery passages, LGBTQ passages, just a few here and there. Whole denominations and positions get formed around these few passages, that's a mistake. You can't take just a few passages and say, well, there you have it. It's in plain print. It's the word of God. We are following the word of God. We are real Christians. You are not. No. Can't do that. That is just using the Bible selectively to justify your pre-existing cultural bias. There's a good chance a lot of that is coming from the human culture at the time. So make sure not to form your convictions around just a few passages. Another guardrail is any moral issue must pass the test of agape. The Bible tells us to use agape in all of those commands. This is the greatest and first commandment, agape God above all else. Second is like it, you shall agape your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, agape, hang all the commands of the Bible. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through agape. You are my followers if you have agape. God is agape. I, this is not just a few, you know, do this, it's a good idea. I mean, it's being, it's only thing, it's everything, it's the one principle that sums up all. And then there's a lot of dings. So I'm going to try to turn that down. Sorry about that. It's my daughter. <laughs> so anyway okay so anything that goes with agape is safe anything that goes against agape not safe because God is agape like for example slaves must obey their masters even when they are being cruel that's in plain print in the bible 
Is that agape? No, it's not unconditional love because the condition of dark skin <laughs> is making you treat people differently, correct? At least not today. Maybe in another time, in another context, if slaves rebelled, they would have gotten killed maybe in that context. So maybe in, in specific context, such a thing may have worked. I don't know. It's hard to tell. But at least not today is not to be applied universally as if it were a divine principle just because it's in the Bible. You cannot just follow that. Agreed? I mean, who here, who today would say, let's take slaves because it's in the Bible? I mean, come on, you got to be a crazy person, right? So these two guardrails will keep us humble and safe from getting it wrong and doing harm, thinking you're following God. That's just delusional, correct? So now, how do we let the divine parts of the Bible take us higher, inspire us, fill, us, fill our souls up, and change us into you know, where we want to be, you know, take us higher than we can go for ourselves? My first advice in that is take into account the culture and the expectations at the time in order to differentiate between the divine and the human. If it's something expected from the culture at the time, like women must wear a head covering, which a lot of people do today because it was written 2,000 years ago. You know, in Catholic churches, they're still requiring it. But, you know, that's a custom that was present at the time of the writing that whether you were a believer or not, it was just a cultural expectation people would do that, right? Yeah. I mean, does God really care about hats? Is that really on top of God's, like, priority list? You got to wear hats? Oh, my gosh, you know? Don't construct the whole thing around such passages based on customs that everyone was doing, at the time anyway. Like women must not speak in public. Women must not lead. They must submit to men. Everyone at that time, East or West, had such cultural expectations. Correct? It didn't matter if you were a Christian, people of faith or not. It was just what everyone did. It was cultural thing. If you see that, there's a very good chance that just human Completely expected and obvious. Doesn't say anything that's prophetic, that stands outside of time, that takes you by surprise and leads you to somewhere higher. I mean, if it's really from God, it ought to surprise us. It ought to transform us in ways that's different than what everyone thinks. Because God is higher than us, no? It should make us puzzled and shocked, even repulsed at times, like Apostle Peter. God revealed to Apostle Peter to eat all kinds of meats. And Peter was just completely repulsed, shocked. He said, but I, never. I'm not going to disobey the Bible. The Bible tells me not to do these things. How can this be? I'm a good believer. I'm not going to do that. See, now that smells of the divine. Because you don't expect that from people of faith at the time. Correct? Yeah. That's surprising. It's puzzling. 
especially since that passage led to accepting people of all kinds, it goes with agape. Now that feels like divine. But obvious stuff like, don't be bad. Don't steal. Don't sleep around. Be good. Don't disobey God. Follow the pastor. Ha, ha, ha. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that, not just blah, blah, blah. That's expected of human beings anywhere, everywhere. That's not, you can't claim that's divine and prophetic. That's just, yeah. But you know, there are many parts of the Bible that is just so really unexpected, liberating, so ahead of times. For example, there is no believing Jew or unbelieving Gentile, free or slave, man or woman, in Christ Jesus. Nobody talked like that, east or west. Nobody back then. Even now, this is very difficult. 2,000 years ago, oh, wow. Did you know the daily prayer of the church in men at the time went like this? Thank you, God, for making me a man, not a woman. Thank you, God, for making me free, not a slave. Thank you, God, for making me a believer, not an unbeliever. It's like, you know, saying grace before meals. You know, that was what everyone... You see the mindset at the time? This was like like opposite that, right? I, I mean, what guts would it take for a practicing believer to say such things in opposition to daily Thanksgiving prayer in church all the time? That is prophetic. That is ahead of its time. That is divine, especially since it flows from the principle of agape, unconditional worth and love in every human being. That is the gospel, is it not? That each and every one of you is worth the life of God incarnate. It's equivalent in worth. It's infinite. You are all precious in the eyes of God, equally as Jesus died for all of us, no? Just because you're a little bit more good or, you know, wealthier or have a little more Instagram followers doesn't make you more worthy in the eyes of God, right? We're all worth it. Amen. That's divine. The life and teachings of Jesus is chock full of such teachings. Parable of the prodigal son, parable of the good Samaritan, parable of the vineyard worker who all get same no matter how much they work. It seems unfair, unnatural, but they all speak of agape. It's really sad in many ways because if the church had just followed this principle of agape, we would have been united in our opposition to slavery. We would have been united in our opposition to Nazism. Today, we would fight for women's rights instead of holding the world back. Ah, This is because church is made up of human beings. It's a human institution. We are all products of our culture. And this is the reason why the Bible is helpful. Why the Bible 
can be the guidance we need to take us higher than we can go because of the divine. It stands outside of us and we all need such a thing because we are all products of our culture and we are all blinded by our cultural assumptions. Which of us can confidently say that we are so much better than all those Christians who went before us? How can we stand up and condemn those saints and apostles who care so much about rare steak and not enough about slavery? I mean, they did that. But we can't really stand in judgment of that because you know what? A thousand years from now, people will look back and say, how could they have missed such obvious stuff? You know? Because we are all human beings. We are blinded by the light by which we see. And that's why we need something that stands outside of us to point the way to the kingdom of heaven where agape rules. Because God is agape. That's why we need the Bible to constantly remind us. Also, the church needs to constantly remind us of how important and how much effort we must put into working on all of us moving towards agape. Because it is so unnatural. It is so alien to us, this agape. Every other kind of love is natural to human instinct. Eros, romantic love, that's natural. We're just drawn to it. Friendship, philia, that's natural. We like who we like. Storge, family love, parents' love for their children, it just springs up. You don't, you don't have to work on it, you know what I mean? It's there. But agape, there's nothing more alien to human nature than agape. Unconditional, equal worth that you see in everyone, that is not natural. That is not human. That is the kingdom of God. That is what will bring justice and love and life to all humanity. But it is not natural. Agreed? It's something you have to work at rather than it just comes. Obama said in his, in his inauguration speech that the arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice. Anyone remember that? he was quoting Martin Luther King Jr. We're celebrating his life. Tomorrow is a national holiday. MLK Day, yeah? I love MLK. He's great. He was a prophet. He fought for equal rights. Because he believed in agape. Equal, unconditional worth in every human being. Equal rights. And when he said the arc of history is long, he meant that change and progress in culture takes a long time. It does. Just 60 years ago, you couldn't get married across race here in New York. Can you believe it? It takes a long time. But compared to 2,000 years ago, you can see that bend of history. It has gotten better for women. It has gotten better for minorities. Still a long way to go, okay? But there is a bend. We can all see it, right? And I ask myself, 
what causes that bend? Because left to ourselves, our human nature, I seriously doubt it that the bend would go. Because we are not naturally inclined towards such things. <laughs> we always have this tribal mindset, us versus them, who's better, who's worse, always ranking and categorizing, and there's all kinds of mistreatments everywhere, depending on how we you, you know what I mean, right? It's not in our nature to just keep going for this bend in justice towards agape. Not in human nature. That's why I believe it's the Spirit of God at work in human history over the centuries, just coaxing us, despite us resisting with all our might, especially the church. <laughs> We do resist the Spirit of God. That is what the first martyr, Stephen, said in the Bible, that we always, the church always resists the work of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, that's besides the point. We resist, but God is bending us always. Kingdom of God marches on. Hallelujah. God is winning because we do see that bend. We saw a black president. That was great <laughs> because it spoke to me of the spirit of God at work bending the arc of history I really hope we see a woman president soon too because that is moving towards agape you see what I mean this is why the gospel can save because it can transform us transform our minds and move us to places that's alien to our nature by constantly pushing us, changing us slowly. And I would like all of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, as church around the belief in the gospel and God being agape, I would like us to embrace the cause of agape. To bring that mindset to ourselves and to whoever we are in touch with to play our part in bending that arc of history. Amen? Are you with me on that? Let's be part of that. That can be the truly satisfying mission and purpose in your life, my life. We need that. It will be good. Yeah? Amen. Well, I said some provocative things again this week. I usually do. Probably you have more questions. So please come up after the service. I do chat with Charles up there. We have tacos from Los Tacos, numero uno. Best tacos in the city. I kid you not, it really is. Goldman Sachs is eating it now, they say. So that tells you. Free, upstairs. So come on up, get some good lunch. You're here anyway, it's cold outside. Just stick around a little more and ask your questions. Any questions, welcome. We'll have a wonderful discussion. It's really fun. We also have in the basement, we have ping pong table. We have Wii. We have foosball table. We have pizzas. Because uh, kids like pizzas. Um, don't want to, well, let's not get in there. But uh, anyway, hang out. Don't just leave. Just hang out because agape, love, you can't do by yourself. You got to like make some connections, right? We'll just hang out.
Let's be a church together. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are love. That you are not just after right behavior, correct behavior. You are after love. And that is the most meaningful thing in this universe. And we pray that your spirit would be at work among us right now. That we would feel the river of the spirit of God carrying us towards that arc of history, bending towards agape. That we would be part of that. And we would be lifted up, inspired, and it would change who we are for the good of ourselves and everyone we touch. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.